Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined by our guest, Cherie Prince. Good morning, Cherie. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Todd? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that. And where are you calling from, if you don't mind me asking? I am calling from the beautiful metropolis of Floodwood, Mississippi. Uh, what what city in Mississippi? Sorry, Flowood. Um, we're we're a suburb right outside of the capital city, Jackson. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Is it nice weather there today? Oh my gosh, it's like eighty six ish. Not too hot, not too cold. You can wear long sleeves if you, if you like. It is my favorite time of year. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out now that I'm in Nevada for the first time. I'm trying to figure out what my favorite time of year is. Um, we're at the uh, end of October right now we're, when we're recording this, and people won't hear this until January, but right now it's 68 degrees outside, which is really crazy because it was 117 degrees for like two weeks straight in the summertime. I've never experienced anything like it. Like, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I made—I I don't want to call it a mistake, um, but I had the opportunity of visiting Vegas for the first time in the middle of June, and I had no idea how different the humidity was from Mississippi. So it was definitely yeah. an experience. Yeah, yeah, there is no such thing as humidity here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you get it in the steam room and your shower in the bathroom, and that's about it. But like, yeah, it's really dry and really hot. Um, it's definitely having me question whether or not I'm going to stay here because it's just like overwhelming. You can't go outside. You can't go anywhere. It's really weird. Like I've never experienced anything like it different. So yeah, I might look at Mississippi someday. I like the South. 
Okay. <laughs> That's good. And uh, were you born there? Where were you born? I was born uh, in a little city called Durham, Mississippi. And the population is less than 5,000. And that's kind of where I lived for a while and eventually moved to Capital City. Right on. That's really cool. And did you grow up with siblings? Okay. So the short answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> look, that's the short answer, the cliff note. We could go with the long answer. We got time. Okay. <laughs> we got time. Yes. Uh, of course. My brother and I grew up together, and I also have a younger sister. So okay. anybody that knows me knows that literally until I was in my 20s, my brother and I just, I hated my brother. It was just, he was a boy, I'm a girl, and I wanted a little sister so bad. So when I was eight, you know, I was blessed with a little sister. So there are three of us. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. And uh, that's normal sibling rivalry. I've heard the term a few times. Um, did that uh, change over time? Well, yes, because um, now that's, that was a short answer. The long answer is um, I grew up with my grandparents for part of my life as well. Um, my mom was sick a lot when I was growing up, and she eventually passed away when I was 16. So we just kind of bowed from house to house. Yeah. Um, we just kind of went from house to house. And so your cousins and your aunts and uncles, you're close in age. They become like sisters, brothers. You go to school together. So there are a bunch of us who really are more like siblings than we are first cousins and um, aunts and uncles. So that is the longer version of that story. So I really grew up with a, you know, a tight family after my mom passed away. I'm so sorry. And is your father still with us? He is still with us. I um, just celebrated a birthday. And the funny thing is, both of my parents have the same birthday, but they're five years apart. So they just celebrated a birthday um, October 15th. Awesome. That's so cool. Very, very cool. Um, let's reach back. This is something I always like to do with people just to see, you know, it's always a curious thing. What's the earliest memory you have in life? very earliest, farthest back you can go in your mind. What, what comes to mind for you? The earliest memory that I have, um, I must have been about maybe three or four. And um, I believe it, it must have been my first full bedroom set. It was a white canopy bed. And I just remember a furniture truck coming and dropping the bed off. And I spent so much time in that room. It was almost like Barbie's house, but instead of being pink, it was all white. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's one of the fondest memories that I can remember growing up. Was that's really cool. A safe place like that. Uh, was that brother of yours jealous of the canopy bed? Well, Todd, look, just <laughs> enough that he burnt the house down, Todd. Literally. Say what? He burned the house down. So, oh, come on. No, I'm so serious. Now, by this time, my parents had separated, gotten a divorce, and so we were living maybe three houses down the street from my dad on the same side of the road. It was weird. Um, my mom was napping, and my brother, we had a gas stove, and he was, like, taking the fire from the kitchen to his bedroom and eventually burnt the house down, literally. Taking Whoa, um, and I don't, you know, oh God, that's terrible, and I feel terrible even asking this, but what are you talking about, taking the fire from the kitchen to his bedroom? What, what did he, like, burn something and take it with him? I'm guessing he was, like, had paper or something, because, you know, uh, I'm in my brand new, in my brand new room with my canopy bed, mom asleep, 
And so, um, yeah, he literally burned the hands down. Nobody was her, but we lost Thank God. Thing. Yeah, we lost we just the clothes in our backs, what we came out with. Thank God. Are you a woman of faith? Oh, definitely. Um, you cannot, in, in my opinion, you cannot make it without faith. And can you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we love Jesus around here. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, God bless you. I'm glad that that worked out, but that sounds terrible. Um, good Lord. Wow. Yeah. Um, burnt the house down. Yes. Do you see why I didn't like him till I was in my 20s? Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. that is one of these stories I have said. But, you know, today's different. He's my best friend today. So we've made past that. That's so nice. That's so nice. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, I actually grew up spending a lot of time with my grandparents as well, and I'm so grateful that they were a part of my life. They really filled in some gaps, and my mother was single um, for most of her life and still is. Um, but seeing the whole, you know, the unity of the relationship with my grandparents really made a huge difference. How did that all play out for you? What was the impact and influence like for you being around your grandparents? Well, I don't know if it was a blessing or a curse. Um, okay. Because I've lived with both sets of my grandparents, my mom's parents and my dad's parents. And literally both sets of my grandparents were together until they, until they passed away. So I was really blessed to see long-term marriages versus my mom's marriage lasting, oh, less than three years. Um, but I don't know. Folks in my family don't stay married long. Um, I don't I don't know what it is. My three siblings were all single, never married. So it's different. It's different. Um, I don't know if I'm looking at what my grandparents had and, you know, measuring everyone by that stick or if there's something else. But like I said, I'm still trying to figure out if it was a blessing or a curse. Mm. If you really had to weigh it one way or the other, which one would you go with, blessing or curse? I would say a blessing um, because yeah. I, I, know it's, yeah. I know it's possible. I know it's possible. Um, and I've learned as I've gotten older that their marriages weren't perfect. You know, there are things that you hear as an adult that as a child you really couldn't comprehend. But it was really good from that vantage point to, you know, wake up to people in the home making breakfast, taking you to events and to the fair and things like that. So I was really able to see that with my grandparents when I was not able to see it in my own home with my parents. Mm -hmm. And what were uh, some of the memories that come to mind with your parents when they were both still alive and together? Was it a was it a healthy situation or was it troublesome? What was the dynamics like for you? Now, Todd, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> no, we got an hour, but I'm known to do a part two for people that need it. So you know. Okay, well, God, let me greet you with your time. Uh, You're good. You're good. I really don't have a lot of memories. Uh, to give you to give you some insight, I was at the wedding. I don't remember being at the wedding, but I remember pictures of me at the wedding. And by the time my brother was born, we're like maybe two and a half years apart. Um, by the time he was born and he was maybe three or four, they were already divorced. So yeah, um, I just don't have any memories. Okay. 
Okay. Well, that actually works out well because it doesn't take any time if you don't have anything to say. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I remember like things between uh, them, like not being good, good. But like with family things, I don't have a lot of memories less doing family things. Okay. Just them not getting along. I understand. Um, so that that has an impact, you know, that, that can change our d- total dynamics and everything about how we feel. What did that do to you? Like, what was it like as a child? And did that, did it register that something was different or like, how did that all work out for you in, in terms of your childhood and early development? In hindsight, I can see where it made me paint a lot of things as black or white. Um, having more absolutes, I don't do a lot of gray. And I think it was because for all of my childhood, it was rough. Um, Our house burned down. We stayed with friends. We stayed with family. My mom, you know, was sick at 36. She was in a nursing home and she passed away in the nursing home. And, you know, I don't care what anybody says. There's nothing like a mother's love. Everybody doesn't have the maternal gene, but if you, you know, anybody who's had a good mama, they know. And I had a good mama. So, you know, living with grandparents, um, I, I even lived with my aunt for a while. And I feel like everybody did the very best they could. But I knew my mother's love. And it was different. It was really different. Um, and it informs the way that I raised my children. So... In hindsight, it did make me be more black or white, not gray. Mm-hmm. Understand completely. Um, gosh, and I'm so sorry. It sounds like a lot of trauma, um, but you seem to turn it around into a positive. Let's find out how. Um, so while all this stuff was going on, like, what were the dynamics like with you and your family? And did your brother get in trouble? Like, I mean, you know kind of give me the picture of how this all worked out because it sounds like you know you had the love and support of family members and friends and things like that what was going on behind the scenes I definitely had love and support um I can't say that I had a lot of guidance when I tell my kids and I don't tell them everything hopefully they'll never hear this podcast but (laughs) um you know, when I tell them about some of the things I used to do as a kid, like we snuck out of the house, we stole the car, we had parties. Me too. Yeah. Well, you know, I, they were like, Mom, I don't believe that. You're so lame. And yeah, at 40 years old, I'm very lame. I'm not at the club. <laughs> I'm a professional. You know, I don't do the things that I used to do. Um, but I had a lot of love, but I really felt like growing up, I was kind of, my brother and I were kind of raising ourselves. So wow. we just kind of figured stuff out on our own. People, you know, we had a roof. We had a roof. We had food. We had somewhere to sleep. We were safe. But I don't think we had a lot of guidance. A lot of what? Guidance. Oh, guidance. Gotcha. Absolutely. I understand. Well, that's that's good and bad. Um, it can really teach independent thinking and, you know, but in some cases it can lead to, you know, terrible things as well. Um, it sounds like yours led to independent thinking. Is that right? Well, I had help. I definitely had help. So by the time that I was in the sixth grade, and this is before my mom passed away, I really started not to care. Really. I mean, you know, 
I was making straight A's, even with everything going on, I was making good grades. And then I just started to not care about my grades, um, not to really care so much about my appearance. And I had a teacher and I think she had just started teaching. She, you know, less than five years in. But um, she just kind of took me to the side and, and talked to me and spent time with me. She encouraged me. And I really could see how my life changed just from knowing that there was somebody who cared about, you know, who I am. And she saw that. And I don't even think she knew what was going on at home or with my mom. But she just really took time with me. Um, and about two years ago, now this is from the sixth grade to, you know, as of this taping, I'm 45 years old. Um, about, about two years ago, I was able to find her, I think, on LinkedIn or Facebook and connect with her and just told her, thank you, because I was headed down the wrong path. Maybe I wasn't going to graduate. You know, maybe there were so many maybes. And I just really thank God for her. Absolutely. What do you think the most important lesson you learned from that person is? That your journey is not always your destination. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you go through to come out. And so I went through a lot of stuff, a lot. But I would always come out. There was always an ending. And, you know, there's always a new challenge or opportunity, or there's always a new barrier, but it's a sea, you know, you make it a season, not a cycle. And so she really helped me to understand that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. The journey is the most important thing. Um, very important. I've learned that in different ways, but I think church is one of the places where I got that message the clearest, you know, and um, I, I know that my father taught me that as well. And probably my mother thinking back to a lesser degree, but you know, yeah, that's huge because uh, you really miss a lot if you're not in the moment, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, if you're always worried about getting to the finish line, you kind of miss the things that are along the path that you're, you're taking, right? Like, you know, that's not good. We don't want that. Um, and, and I don't mean to go to this place, but I'm, I'm just kind of curious and, I'd like to just know, if you don't mind me asking, what would you say to your mother if she could pop back into your life today and sit next to you? What would you say to her? I would tell her that I appreciate her. Um, there were so many times that she did things and looking back, I don't know how she did them. So I'll give you some examples. Please. I'm not a girly girl, but for some reason, I think my mom wanted a girly girl. <laughs> and so, you know, she would dress me up. I was in Girl Scouts. I was in pageants. There wasn't a trip that I missed. Uh, and this is like almost the entire time, like living on public assistance, getting help from my grandparents. Um, you know, for years before she passed away, she was wheelchair bound or she went to the nursing home. And, you know, I don't know how she did it. I remember one night having a meal with no meat. And so that may not seem like a big thing, but like we are major meat eaters. <laughs> um, she like she could not afford it, but she put together a meal. And I think that was the first time, and you know, I noticed that 
she was sad, and I really noticed how much we did not have materially. Um, and I was letting her appreciate it because I have no idea how she did it, but I appreciate her. That is beautiful. Very beautiful. And is there any message that you'd have for your grandparents as well? I know that you'd mentioned that they had passed away. Is there something you'd say to them as well if they could be back in the picture? Okay. For a moment? So just to kind of paint the picture, my mm-hmm. mom's side of the family is like night and day from my dad's side of the family. I was named, my middle name uh, came from my maternal grandmother. Her name was Lonnie Mae Prince. So I'm Cherie Lynette Prince, like Lonnie, Lynette, Smurf, Smurfette, yeah. So, um, and she was just such a character. She was larger than life, and um, she just took care of everybody. You know, you can, there was not one person that would stop by the house. She wouldn't offer to feed them. Do you need somewhere to stay? Do you need something? And she was just a very genuine person. Um, So, yeah. If I saw my grandma Lonnie May again, you know, I would ask her, you know, how can I help? What can I do for you? Because she was always doing for other people. She worked full time in the cafeteria at my high school and she would come home and she would help my grandfather um, with a, with they had a hundred and fifty plus acre farm. And so he kind of tended to the farm full time and haul logs and stuff for people. And that's how they made a living. So I would ask her, how can I help you? Because I would see how she always helped other people. And I'm not going to, I don't know if she complained. I never heard her complain. She always seemed to be joyful and just, she just had the best personality to me. Uh, My maternal grandfather, I would tell him, thank you. He helped my mom. And there was this relationship between the two of them. There was just so much love. And you can just see it all over him, you know, how much he loved her and how much he loved us because we were hers. So I would tell him, thank you. Now, for my paternal grandmother and grandfather, they were very religious. And at the time, I did not really understand and or appreciate the way they tried to raise me when I, for the brief time that I lived with them. Because I think out of everybody, I lived with them maybe a year and a half, maybe two years, but the least amount of time when my brother and I were just kind of bouncing around. And so I would tell both of them that I understand because I was not the perfect child and I gave my grandmother fits because I, because I did not understand at the time. But today I would let them know that I understand why they did what they did. I don't necessarily agree, but I understand. Cool. Cool. Wow. Um, Man, so tell me something good. Tell me something in your childhood that really rings a positive memory and represents something that kind of led you to be who you are today. Something in my childhood. Well, can we start? How far in my childhood? Because I have a fun fact for about age 18, but I don't know if you're ready for the fun fact. Oh, no, we can go a little faster now because we're getting to the point where it's going to be 
you know, adult time. <laughs> okay. Perfect. On my 18th birthday, I taped an episode of Will of Fortune. Oh, you're kidding. No, not at all. I got to, I, you were cat and vamp. You, oh, you were on the show. Yeah, I was actually on the show. Uh, I had a cousin who lived in Atlanta. And so they were there looking for guests. And, you know, I don't know what the process was, but she just put everybody's name that she knew down as a potential guest. And from all the people that, you know, had their names put down, we had to fly, I think, to Los Angeles or somewhere. And they interviewed us all in this huge room and did different things. And um, I was called to be on the show. And so it aired in, was it 96? Yeah, I have it on. Well, I had it on VHS. What I'll do, I will send you a link for your show notes because I do have it's on it's on YouTube now. So I'll share a link in your show notes. That sounds great. I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, they're a young Sheree. That's okay. No, no, any Sheree is good. And the Wheel of Fortune, what an exciting experience that must have been. Did it go well? I mean, did did it all work out really well, or like how did it go? That's hot. I'm gonna ruin the experience for you. Do you mean? Do you really want me to tell you now? I'll wait. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll watch later. That's okay. Yeah, and everybody else too. I'll put a link in there to to the thing in your uh, interview notes for sure. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's really cool. Um, so let me ask you this: just kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, at what point in your life did you realize that you had purpose? And and were you always a, a woman of faith? Like, did you go to church when you were a kid? Were you taught to love God? Um, you know, what did all that look like? And, and where did it become, you know, evident to you as an individual that you had a purpose in the world? So I've always gone to church. When I was living with my grand, my my father's parents. Church seemed like a chore because the way that they tried to show and teach us religion was like they never had mistakes. And so I just, I really had a difficult time when I lived there going to church and just really accepting um, some of the principles that they tried to share with me. Now, when I moved in with my mother's parents, it was a little different. Um, One difference a main difference is that it was a difference in denominations and so um my mother's parents were missionary baptist and the service was different i loved it it was a family oriented church well both churches you know family based but the way that religion and spirituality and christianity was revealed to me was that we're, we're not perfect people and I was really able to grow a lot. Now, fast forward. When I went to college, I went to church more because, um, funny story, the guy that I was dating was, you know, a, he was one of the leaders in one of the Baptist groups there. And so he mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in church and in prayer groups and Bible study. And I found a local church that really took me from being a baby Christian because even by the time I got to college, my knowledge about who God is for me personally and that personal relationship, it really didn't grow to where it is now until probably, yeah, my first or second year in college. Um, 
and I kind of began to flourish after that point. And I would say that it became real to me after I had a near-death experience. I was um, still in college, and by this time I had my own apartment. And I was literally, I'd gone to the store, and I was just heading home. And it was back-to-back traffic, but it was cool because I was used to it. And so I'm sitting in traffic. I'm at a red light. Um, There's a car directly in front of me, and I'm in the right lane. There's a car directly in front of me, behind me, and in the left lane. Like, literally, there's, if I wanted to pull out, I couldn't. And there's no shoulder. There's just a ditch. So there's nowhere for me to go. And I'm at this red light, and at the corner of my eye, I see a car, and it's airborne. And it's headed for my driver's side door. Oh, my God. And, like, literally, I just, I see it at the side, at the corner of my left eye. And something says, hit the gas. And I just scream, Jesus. That's it. I just scream, Jesus. Oh, oh, definitely. I hit the gas. And, um... I didn't hit a car. I didn't hit the car in front of me. I don't know what happened to the car in front of me. I don't know if the light changed or what happened because by the time I saw the car, I was still stationary. But um, the car barely missed me, and I walked away from the accident. And that's when I really think God became real to me because when I screamed the name of Jesus, everything changed. And so that's before I had kids, you know, just before all of that. Um, so yeah, about college. Hmm. Just so I understand, did the car hit you? No, the car did not hit me. When I saw the car, the car was airborne headed towards me and a voice hit the gas. When you said near death experience, I'm thinking that you got injured and were in the hospital and, you know, saw the light and all that kind of stuff, but you just just. unscathed even better yes even like literally the car was like airborne it was in the air hit it towards me and so unbelievable yeah to me that's near death oh no it's close enough yeah still i'm with you (laughs) i just you know i wanted to clarify because some folks you know they die and come back and you know that that's what i was thinking that was but no 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 that's great even better you had god's protection all over you that's beautiful nobody else got hurt i hope the person who was in the car that was airborne was taken to the, I saw the ambulance, but I don't know what finally happened to that person, but they, uh, they did receive medical treatment. Oh, God bless them, man. That's wild. And, um, so as you moved along into adulthood, um, how did you get interested in doing what you're uh, doing today? So this is the interesting thing about growing up with cousins, aunts and uncles, and, you know, literally in the same house. Um, there were periods of time where my brother and I shared a bedroom with a cousin, like three of us in one bedroom in three beds. Um, so as children, you develop these bonds and these relationships. And as adults, you have to deal with adult issues. After my mother passed away, um, I went to live with my aunt after I left my grandmother's house. And I stayed there until I went to college. Went to college, and I never just really came home. I got an apartment and stayed in Jackson, Mississippi. So um, fast forward, you know, must have been maybe 10 years later, 
both of my grandparents passed away and they have this 150 plus acre farm. Neither grandparent had a will or a trust. So, you know, everything is great until you start talking about money and assets and land and dividing that up. There was a serious rift in my family because of the land and resources that my grandparents had left behind. Um, and of course, you know, most states provide for what happens in the event that you don't have a will or a trust. But I had certain family members who felt like they deserve more land, better land. Certain people didn't deserve. And that's when I decided that I needed to find a way to help people the same way that I needed help in that instance and the same way other family members needed help. Because these conflicts arise in not just my family, but other families. Hmm. So people were fighting over possessions and things? Is that what it was? Oh, my gosh. You would have thought that there were looters. Had, you know, certain family members went in, you know, the house. They took things to the exclusion of other family members. Um, there was this, you know, litigation for farmers, minority farmers, um, that received, you know, certain funds. And it was, you know, national litigation where you had certain family members who requested the funding and tried to cash the check to the exclusion of other family members. And because there was no estate, it was just this, this awful thing that really put a divide in our family. So, yeah, there was a lot of intentionality with the division in our family. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but can I ask you a personal question based on something in my life? Sure. My grandmother died unexpectedly and, um, you know, without getting into details, uh, things the word nefarious comes to mind totally. And so my mother was the power of attorney for my grandmother. Supposedly there was a will. I don't know. My grandmother told us, me and someone else that was helping her, that she didn't feel that she could trust her daughter to do the right thing. And so she wanted to get a will. And that was the week before she died. And I'm guessing that, you know, she made the mistake of telling the wrong person. I really don't know. But um, within days, my grandmother was dead. And like it was right after she was trying to get a will to protect her final wishes. And um, I ended up getting a phone call from my brother telling me that my share of whatever was a certain amount. And it was a small amount, but he gave me a little bit of money. And when I asked him, what my share, what this, what that meant, you know, my share of what, what are you talking about? You know, it was, uh, well, you can take what you were giving you or, or we'll give you nothing. And then at the, at that moment that all that stuff's happening, those three people, my mother and my two brothers, everyone else in my family is pretty much dead. And, um, it's very sad for me and very difficult at the holidays, to be honest. Um, but, my mother and two brothers stopped talking to me. They literally took everything of value and left and no memorial service, no nothing. And, uh, I'll never forget my mother yanking the rings off of my dead grandmother's fingers when we pulled the plug on her in the hospital. It was so disturbing. And 
to think that that was the person that taught me my values, like, you know, wow. Um, but I'm just wondering, is there any recourse for something like that? So when you talk about recourse, the sad thing is in most states, there's a statute of limitations. Um, depending on what murder, murder doesn't have a statute of limitations. Well, see, I, I, I was going to start, I was going to start with open up an estate. I, I did not want to go straight to murder, but it, it sounded like you were kind of softly possibly. There already was an estate. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they got a trust and put things in the trust and all that. But like the, the, the part of it that really, really makes me struggle. And I mean, I've been suicidal every year pretty much for the last 15 years like it, at a certain point of the year i get really depressed and i can't help it i'm trying to give it to god and i'm really trying to work on getting past this stuff but you know my brother sails into town and you know forbids me to come to the nursing home while he's there for a week and then literally the day after he leaves she's in the hospital two days later she's dead and you know, you do the math, but you know, that's the thing. It's like, I really, I just struggle so much with this and it's a rough one for me. And I'm just wondering, you know, cause I've never had a chance to really ask somebody like you and I try to avoid it, you know? So I don't want anything to do with this stuff, but like, it's one of those things in life that, you know, you just wonder like, should I do something about this or not? <laughs> so, and this is, this is what I'll share with you. I'll because I'm also a licensed attorney, only Mississippi, and this is not legal advice, this is practical advice. Uh, sure. But I had a judge that I clerked for um, straight out of law school, and she shared something with me that I've kept, you know, since then. She said, Sheree, for every wrong, there is not a right. Because sometimes the justice that you seek, you cannot find. And there are so many reasons why you may not be able to find it. In this situation, it's not what's true, it's what you can prove. You know, you may be spot on that something bad happened to your grandmother, but what can you prove? And in the midst of trying to prove it, what is it going to do to you? Yeah, it's a rough one, man. It, it's a rough one. I mean, you add it all up and it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like she was a organ donor and uh, against her wishes, they cremated her body without an autopsy, you know, uh, lots of prevention. You know, I never got to see any information about anything. They kept it all a secret. It's just so many weird things. You know, who knows if it's definitive proof, but you're probably right. And you know, definitely, uh, it's a rough one, man. These are the times when I, I'm really hoping that God's really doing his job, uh, with the evil ones that, you know, got away with it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, and this is a thing you can't outdo God, whatever, you know, whatever the plan is for them, for whatever they've done, there's nothing that you can do that's, that's gotta be more than what you know, he can issue to them. So, Oh no, definitely not. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. What I just, you know, and this is something I've had to learn myself. I just, I'm like, Lord, let your will be done and help me to accept your will. And that's it. Like literally if, there, if there's something that I'm trying to fix, I have to stop myself and say, let your will be done because his will is not always our will. You know, sometimes I'm like, Lord, you know what? I know you got this, but I'm going to help you. 
<laughs> and he doesn't need my help. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm going to help you with this. Don't worry about it. I got it. And it, it never turns out the way that I want it to turn out. But when I surrender things to him and literally let it go, I have a peace that is unimaginable. So, um, you know, I just share that with you. If you can just ask him to let his will be done, one, and two, help you to understand his will and allow him to do what he does and give you peace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's taken, honestly, you know, I'm 51 years old and it's taken all these years to even get to the place where I can forgive. And, you know, that was the first thing is, uh, you know, really telling God and letting it go and saying, Hey, you know, you've got this burden. I want to give it to you. I forgive these people for what they've done, but it's like, uh, you know, forgetting is another story and, you know, it might just be psychological and emotional, but still it's like, I just really struggle with being able to let it all go, man. But like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the man a little bit more and see if uh, that works. But yeah, it's just a rough one. And, and due to the nature of what you do, I figured I would ask, you know, just in case <laughs> I could learn something. Yeah. It, look, it's not what's true. It's what you can prove. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Okay, cool. And I apologize. I didn't mean to, I don't want to steal your thunder or anything like that. This is about you, not me. (laughs) This is also a conversation and I'm enjoying our conversation. Me too. Me too. And so let's tell people what you do. So, um, I like to tell people that I am a business person with a law degree. You know, everybody's like, oh, attorney, Sheree. Like, no, I'm just Sheree. Before I ever went to law school, I owned businesses. I operated businesses. And I went to law school to help me better serve those businesses and to find new opportunities. And over time, it became a practice. So I do have a a full-fledged law practice in Flowood, Mississippi. And since COVID, when the world slowed down, I've started doing coaching. So if you were, you know, if someone's in the state of Mississippi, I can help them as their attorney. But I coach people around the world. I have, you know, some people in ooh, Greece, in the UK, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and there are lots of people in the states um, that I help with asset protection coaching. And people think that, oh, I got to have a lot of money to, you know, protect my assets. No, a lot of it is mindset. I show people how to think about the way that they protect their assets. So before you go buy this car, what are you going to use it for? What sort of insurance is it going to require? You know, and it's mindset. And I also offer tools and networking with people in whatever area that you're in to get the solutions you need to implement an asset protection plan. And I work primarily with entrepreneurs, but I do have a lot of individuals that I work with as well. Very cool. Very cool. And is that something that um, it doesn't matter where in the world it is, or is it something specific to any particular country like ours? Really, it does not matter um, where you are in the world, because this is the thing. You could live your entire life with your account in the negative, and you can die and leave your relatives as multimillionaires. And so how do you do that? I don't know if you've heard about, they have, you know, different 
topics like be your own bank, invest in yourself, things like that. But I show you during your lifetime how to protect what you have. It may just be a house or a car. And when I say estate plan, it doesn't mean that you spent tens of thousands of dollars. It just means that you've sat down and decided that this one house and one car, this is what I'm going to do with it. And I made a plan to take care of it for when I'm no longer here. We have a huge problem with air property in the South. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with the term, it's just property that belonged to someone um, in the line of succession, like maybe our grandparents, they died without a will or a trust. So we moved into Big Mama's house or, you know, when our parents moved out, we moved in and now our kids are there. So now we're three or four generations removed, but it's still in Big Mama's name. Well, that's a problem because now the bank is not going to loan you money. Um, you have several people who have passed away and you have all these different heirs all over the place that have a fractional interest in one piece of property. Um, I think one of the worst estate issues that I've encountered so far, you have, I think I had about 40 people fighting over two acres of land with a house on it. And so it's, it's kind of hard to chop that up, but that's why you need a plan no matter if you think you have assets or not, you still need a plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so independent of any uh, laws and things, you know, in other countries, these uh, things are kind of handled in the same way, no matter where in the world they are. Yes. Um, basically, I just start people out with considering things that are personal to them. So let's say that you don't have a business. All right, no problem. We all have an expiration date. Part of your, you know, plan is do you want to be buried or cremated? Do you have life insurance? Is all of this in a place that your family members can easily find it or have access to it in, in case you become incapacitated? Um, do you want to be kept on life support? And if you do have a business, how do these things translate to your ownership and operation of your business? Because if people depend on you as part of the business, do you have a plan for your absence? You know, you may not have a, length, a lengthy illness. You may pass suddenly. What is your plan? So I just basically show people how to plan in the event of the inevitable, which is our expiration. Wow, that's cool. Very cool. And do people often know that there's an issue that needs to be addressed or is it usually a surprise when someone dies that they need to do something or that something wasn't done and therefore the assets become, I'm guessing, property of the government? Like what, what happens if things aren't covered right, if the bases aren't covered? Usually before property uh, matures to the government, you have so many different opportunities to keep that in the family. Believe it or not, the government does not like for people to lose their property by default. So you get so many opportunities to, you know, claim the property or even reclaim it after it's lost. There's still a redemption period if you lose your property. So they really do want people to retain their property. Um, the biggest thing I found is just communication. So let's go back to, you know, being three and four generations removed. Like in my case, my children have never had the joy of going down to my grandparents' farm and running on 150 acres, climbing trees, you know, playing in the woods, riding bikes up and down the road. 
And I say road because it was a, you know, this long gravel, you know, road. There was no street. So to them, the value of the property is not the same. I have an emotional tie to the property. So fast forward, you know, had we not divided things up in my generation and the property was still air property, which means that you had multiple people with a fractional ownership interest. My my kids may not care as much about the property being lost to the state. They have no ties to the property. They may not care about maintaining the property. So what happens is, yeah, one of the biggest things that I run into is that you have people that are uninterested. And when you start dealing with people that are uninterested, it's hard to really get things done because they don't feel that time is of the essence to resolve things because it does not personally affect them. So that is one of the biggest issues. Uh, Once we get so far removed with air property, it's just people being interested in getting things done quickly. Because once people continue to die, you have to notify new people and it can become a big hairy mess. Oh man, that's awful. That is awful. So what's the what's the answer? Um, what's the first thing that someone should do when someone dies and there's property and assets involved? The first thing I would think would be to communicate. Um, what I like to advise people to do, and y'all, I get invited to so many family reunions. So if if you if you're having a cookout this summer, you want me to come talk to you, you might be too late because a lot of families invite me or somebody like me like at their family reunions or even like weddings, if there's like, you know, a time when the family's already together, I would encourage people to regularly talk and communicate with your family. So if you have reunions planned or, or graduations and the family's already together, communicate about what your plans are to each other. Um, don't be shy. You don't have to give people your total net worth and let them know how much you have in the bank, but give people an idea of what to expect. Hmm. What if people are dishonest? That's going to happen. You generally need to be able to take care of your, what I call your upline and your downline. So your upline are your parents, your downline are your children. And some of us, you know, have grandchildren. So as long as you can identify assets within your upline and downline, you'll be good. Um, it's amazing because now you have teenagers, 12, 13 year olds who are multimillionaires because they're YouTubers and they have millions of followings. So they have all this money. And you think that, okay, you don't have to have an estate plan for a 12 year old, but he's making over a million dollars a year. He needs an estate plan. What if something happens to his parents? He's still not an adult. Somebody has to be a guardian over his assets. So. Mm-hmm. Take care of your upline and your downline. Very cool. Very cool. And we've got about 10 minutes left just so we kind of stay on track here. And I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, things that would be relevant to people listening that might be in a situation where they need your help. What would you suggest, you know, people do first? And and let's talk about how they can get a hold of you and what you can do to help them and that sort of good thing. So I have a couple of do's and don'ts. Um, and then I'll tell you how to catch up with me. One, do make a plan, do communicate, and do follow up on a regular basis to make sure that the communication is current. 
because just like when you go to your annual visit to your doctor, you need to have a scheduled annual visit with the people that help put together your plan. That may be a financial advisor, or an insurance agent, an attorney, an accountant. So do those things. A couple of don'ts. Don't forget that if you are a part of a blended family, that your plan is going to be a little bit different. Don't forget that if you are divorced and single, that your plan is going to be a little bit different. And third, don't purchase and purchase assets with another individual, whether you're in a relationship or a partnership, without having some sort of written instrument that memorializes what the agreement is in the events that you cannot agree. So those are just a couple of do's and don'ts um, and best practices that I found from coaching and from my law practice. Very cool. Very cool. And is there anything in particular that might be on your mind or your heart that we might have missed today that would be important to mention um, to anyone that might be listening and thinking about this stuff? Definitely. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the term ROI, return on investment. I like to share a concept with people called COI, which is the cost of inaction. Mm. Yeah, the cost of inaction. Sometimes you think, well, I'm just going to put it off. I'll do it later. And like you said, within what, what was it, a week, your grandmother had passed away? Yeah. Now, in your case, she was trying to take action. But a lot of us, estate planning is not near the top or the middle of your to-do list. You know, there are so many other things that are, you know, that look a little sexier that we want to get to. And we think this is not a big thing. We'll get to it one day. Well, that has a cost and the cost is not zero. And so you often will find out because I've even had clients who come to me who, um, you know, have been like the second or third wife or husband and found out after their spouse passed that that person didn't have their paperwork in order. So you had maybe the first or second wife who got certain insurance, um, whose name was still jointly titled to assets. Those are not things you want to find out while you're grieving the death of a loved one. And you also want to think about the way that property passes to your downline. You don't want the property or assets that you worked so hard for during your lifetime to be the subject of a divorce agreement for your children. You know, I think my grandma would have turned over in her grave if she'd known that one of her children lost half their property in a divorce settlement. This is why it is so important to do these things now. So the cost of inaction is different for everybody, but there is a cost. So just consider that when you're thinking about estate planning, don't put it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm not sure. I mean, this. Well, in my situation, you know, it was just kind of a desperate, unfortunate set of circumstances, and I had nothing to do with any of it. So, you know, it was kind of a bummer. I didn't have the benefit of being involved in any conversations. None of the plans or any of the things that were going on were shared with me. They were all being controlled by my mother and my brother. Um, so, what would you say to somebody like me that? You know, I mean, some of the signs were there before this all happened where I noticed that they were keeping secrets and some of the things that they were saying didn't line up with what I know to be true. 
um, what would you say to somebody like me to help protect against something like this? Because honestly, it's terrible. And it's not about the money. It's about the deception. And it's about the, the idea that someone could prioritize financial gain over human life. You know, to me, that's what's so disturbing about it. What would you say to someone like me that might be in a position where, you know, they have a relative and, you know, they know that that relative is going to be looking out for them when they die? How, how can they protect themselves? So I would say that you just need to remember that your rights are not limited by the and I'm going to, you don't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, alleged generosity of others. Um, sometimes we don't know we don't know. And in your situation, if I had known you then, Todd, I would have told you, well, Todd, you can get an attorney too. And you can be entitled to sit at the table as a beneficiary. You have rights. And I would have advised you to get independent counsel to assert your rights. Um, when everything was going on with my grandparents, I didn't totally understand. I was not an attorney then. Because of that situation, I, you know, I, that's partly why I became an attorney. But anyone who is an heir um, to assets or a beneficiary under a will or a trust, you have rights and you're entitled to representation. And you may just have to get separate representation because whatever attorney is representing the estate or the trust, that's who they represent. And the will or the trust, their interests may not always align with yours. So, yes, go out and get independent counsel and assert your rights. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't even know that I might have had rights or anything like that. <laughs> is is it true? I've heard that when there is uh, some type of financial blessing, you know, left to somebody through uh, a death, you know, in the family or whatever, that the attorney that um, is handling it has a legal obligation to notify the person. Like I was given money, but nobody ever notified me of anything. I was just given money and told to shut up. You know, that was pretty much it. Like, is, is it true that there's some type of responsibility for the attorney to, you know, actually provide information and all that? Like, how does that work? The, the short answer is yes. Um, specifically in our state, we have to notify all creditors and all beneficiaries or heirs. Literally, we can't have a hearing without notifying the heirs or the beneficiaries. Everything they have to, you know, be notified. We have to prove it. Um, and, you know, they have an opportunity to make statements to the court. Same thing with creditors. Creditors, you know, have to be notified, hey, an estate's open. Um, or this person has passed on. It really depends on what what your plan is because if you have a trust, well, it's a little bit different. But, um, but the short answer is yes. You're supposed to be notified and given an opportunity to respond. And if that doesn't happen, again, there's no recourse? You can ask for the estate to be reopened and for certain actions taken in the estate to be notified based on fraud. But you have to ask yourself as well, what is it going to do to you? And at the end of the day, if all that's done, if we're looking at it from an asset standpoint, you know, you may have satisfaction for having done it. But if you're trying to recover assets, they may have already been depleted. So you may go through all this, pay an attorney all this money, and there's nothing there, but you have the satisfaction. And so for some people, that's enough.
Yeah, no, I know in this particular case that they the money's in their bank accounts basically is where it is. They sold the house and took the money. That's what happened. So, yeah. Long story, crazy, but I appreciate this and and actually it's really helpful. I wish that we had met earlier cuz man, I've been struggling with this for so long and I would just encourage anyone listening um learn from my mistake and learn from my pain and suffering because believe me it it never stopped and you know avoid that listen to Cherie and get a hold of Cherie because someone like this would have been invaluable to me had I even known that there was even such a person I had no idea and you know this is 15 years ago all this stuff happened um which is even worse because you know I'm just living with the pain and sadness and all that loss and everything you know from the family it's like it's a real bummer so don't let that happen to you if you're listening and you know you have a situation in the family that might be either similar or you know totally different just you know do what Cherie says line everything up correctly get your ducks in a row don't let inaction cause problems with the family make it all easy to understand right and you know line it all up and Make sure that things are the way that they're supposed to be. That's the answer, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, communication is key. If things are communicated, and it doesn't have to be perfect communication, but your family needs a general idea about your assets and what your wishes are. So that is, you know, the first step to take. Mm -hmm. Very good. And for those listening, how do people get a hold of you, Cherie, so that they can take advantage of your great advice and experience? Well, um, I offer a lot of free educational resources, and I, I tell people to start there first, because a lot of the answers to your questions are found with those resources. I have a webinar that I do, and it's located at, um, you can find it at www.shereeprints.com and it's a totally free webinar and it teaches you how to put together an asset protection blueprint and so what's a blueprint just like when you build a house you have to have a starting document before you do everything else that's what this does it's free and it's for anybody it's not you know specific to the united states anybody can take this and use this as a tool very cool. And we should probably clarify because I thought it was really charming and I did get the info, but I would love for you to tell people your first name is spelled S-C-H-E-R-R-I-E and it's Prince, just like the Prince that we all know and love in music. So tell us how you got your first name because I love that. Okay. That was a great little. So my mom named me after Cherie Payne. Spelled the exact same way. She was one of the Supremes. And I, I think it's so funny that my first name is named after Supreme, my last name, the artist formerly known as, and I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> so that's how I got my name from Cherie Payne. That is so cool. So, yes, people looking for her, um, for Cherie Prince, will find her best at S-C-H-E-R-R-I-E-P-R-I-N-C-E.com. That's the way to go. And you mentioned that you do a podcast as well. Could you tell us just a little bit about that? We'll go over a couple of minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm the host of the Play Big Faster podcast. And even though I preach to you guys day in and day out about asset protection, the podcast is all about helping entrepreneurs live a balanced life. Because, you know, asset protection is great. But if you have a lot of anxiety, you never, you know, 
take a vacation, or you don't have systems and tools in place to be successful as an entrepreneur, it really doesn't mean as much as it could. So um, it's just my little spot in the world where I help entrepreneurs live a more balanced and healthy life by providing great conversation with great guests. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Any last uh, words you'd like to share with our audience today, Sheree? Just play big faster. Um, don't let the cost of inaction catch up with you. Yeah, definitely. I can speak to that. Definitely. Well, I just want to thank you very much for being on the show today, Sheree. It was a joy speaking with you. I'm sorry it got a little dark there for a bit. <laughs> Ty, no worries. But that's part of your world, isn't it? I mean, you handle the good and the bad and the ugly too. I do. I definitely do. Well, thank God for you. I, I wish you nothing but blessings and I, I appreciate you sharing with us today very much. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out toddcastshow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. 
And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.